Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckstables? What the fucksters? What the fuck Tonians? It's, it's what the fucking Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I don't have to say that because I'm going to talk to you again on Thursday, but I don't know how many you're checking in with the episodes as they drop over this holiday season. Sometimes they just get backed up. If you are doing that, I highly recommend listening to uh, to the Phil Stutz interview from last Friday and also Alan Havey if you miss that. They were uh, tremendous conversations. Today I'm going to be talking to Jason Wolner. He was one of the uh, the creators of Human Giant Directed some of uh, John Benjamin as a band. He, he was uh, involved with uh, putting together the original Delocated with uh, John Glazer. He directed some Parks and Rec. He directed and wrote some of the Eagle Hearts. Directed Patton's, uh, Patton's Finest Hours special. Was a child actor. Started in show business. It's an interesting story. He was also the, uh, the kid uh, who was burying Bernie's corpse in the sand in Weekend at Bernie's. So this kid goes back. He's also a regular, he was a regular on Tar- Tom Sharpling's uh, best show, which is over now. Love Tom Sharpling. Hope you guys, if you missed that, uh, boat, you go out in there and pick up those podcasts, the best show. Be sad if you missed the boat, but but it's all out there. Sharpling's a genius. So it's Christmas. What do you got? I'm wearing a hat. You wearing a hat? I'm wearing a hat. I'm out in the garage. I got a toque on. Is that what they are? Is, that, is it a toque? Is it a toque? I don't fucking know, man. What are my Christmas plans? Mark asked himself, as if someone in his audience asked him, you know, with delight and concern. Hey, Mark, what are your Christmas plans? Well, quite honestly, the original plan was, and this is this is really goes to the core of what's really wrong with me. I've been busting my fucking ass on my television show. I'm working 12 to 14 hours a day shooting. I got sick last week which was a nightmare, but I, I you know, powered through it. Not toot my own horn, but I think we're doing okay. And I got to be honest with you, man, it's going pretty good, but I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. Last week, I worked with Sally Kellerman and uh, Judd Hirsch as my parents. It was a riot. I've watched four of the cuts out of the seven we've got in the can, and they looked great. I'm much more relaxed. I'm, uh, I have less on my mind. I'm not panicked. I think I'm doing a better job as an actor, and I think the scripts are funnier. And, you know, dare I say, I am, uh, I'm happy with what's going on uh, creatively and every other way. And it, where it's, everything's moving smooth, knock on. Is that wood? Is it? It's wood. So what am I doing for Christmas? Well, here was my big idea. Fuck, I need to relax. I'm just going to drive my car today this was the plan obviously i'm not doing that because i'm not in my car i was going to drive my car to albuquerque new mexico stay over there at los poblanos and just sit there and then i maybe spend a couple hours with my father so that was my big idea i was going to sit there the 23rd 24th and 25th in albuquerque in my hometown literally three or four blocks from where i grew up where the house that i grew up in no longer exists but the plot of land exists and just wander around the neighborhood, drive around my hometown. I mean, what part of my brain thought that was fucking relaxing? I guess I just wanted to go through a, you just dive into some dark nostalgia hole for my Christmas. Sans family, I'd spend a couple hours with my dad, but that wasn't the reason I was going. Sans family, I'm just going to go back to where I grew up, where most of my past is buried and still in the ether 
floating about every version of me floating around fragments of my past that I could just reactivate with the air, with the winter air of New Mexico. I could reactivate every part of my past. Not a lot of it. Great. Wasn't that it was bad, but it was the standard struggle, you know, from ages 10 to 18, all of it. Just there in the ether, waiting to be reactivated with a Proustian inhalation of the smell of cottonwood trees and pine. Just take a big whiff and just cry out your adolescence. Merry Christmas. What the fuck was I thinking? How is that relaxing? You can get a massage? No. You can eat some good food? I don't know. So what's your plan? I'm just going to sit in a room down the street from where I grew up you know, drive a rental car around places where I used to go when I was in high school, if they still exist, and just sort of look for the me that was so I could try to maybe hook up with that dude and say, hey, man, you want you want to do it like old times? You want to just cruise? I got some fucking, uh, I got some rock, man. I got some uh, Van Halen on, the, uh, on my iPod. You want to just cruise around? You can drink a beer because you're still doing that then. Maybe I just talk you through what's going to happen to you. It ain't good. It's going to be a struggle, but you're going to be all right. So I would fucking relax. How about you do that, teenage Mark? Stop trying too hard. Stop trying so fucking hard, man. People will eventually like you. Not everybody, but people will eventually like you. You don't have to to fucking bend over backwards to be friends with people. You don't have to, you know, take everything so heavy. You'll work it out. You'll figure out how to have sex. You'll figure out all that shit, man. Just fucking kick back. Listen to eruption, man. Huh? Come on. Dude. You're 15. See, I didn't even need to go. I just fixed that. I just fixed 15-year-old Mark. Let's move on. I just can't believe that was my idea. So, in lieu of that, I've decided to uh, not go there. And on Wednesday, I'm going to fly out to Phoenix. I'm going to see my brother. I'm going to reintroduce myself to my nieces and nephews. Perhaps give them some gifts. Uh, I did give my brother some money to get them some Xbox, some equipment to distract themselves from their feelings and uh, from reality. So I'm, I'm part of that. I'm going to go and I think I'm going to buy my niece a guitar. She's getting into guitar and nothing makes me happier than seeing one of my uh, my brother's kids uh, going the wayward way of the artist. I'm going to buy her an electric guitar. I'm going to buy that girl an electric guitar. That's my big plan. That's my big pris- Christmas purchase. I th- Here's the beautiful thing. Again, a celebration of what could be misconstrued as loneliness a twice divorced 50 year old man with some heart scars and some heaviness in his in his mind and spirit childless 50 years old at home alone on christmas you know what fucking tremendous how many gifts did you have to buy people zero bought the kids something could have bought more how many christmas cards did you send out none you feel bad about that i don't know it's not my really thing what am i going to do take a picture of myself in a sweater what you know sitting in my garage Greetings from the Cat Ranch. That actually would have been a pretty cute idea. I didn't do that. Merry Xmas from Mark and his felines. Try getting Monkey or LaFonda to fucking set in a picture. Not going to happen. All right? I'm all alone, but I am singing. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Uh, Oh, what fun it is to ride on a one-horse open sleigh. Hey! Everybody, jingle bells, jingle bells. Um, uh, is it Santa's got a sleigh? I don't know. I don't know. 
Huh? Why? 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 Look, be nice to yourself over Christmas. Don't kill your family. You know, the standard stuff. Hope you got some good presents. Jason Woliner, let's talk. I was frustrated that I, I didn't, I didn't have a full grasp. On, uh, on, you know what, what's the point of it all? <laughs> <laughs> oh, of everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's frustrating. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just like I'll drive down the street and I'll, I'll look at people and you make assumptions. Like, how, how's that person getting by? What does that person do? They just go home and they're okay. That guy, you know, I, I, I do it all the time. Yeah, I think about that with everyone. Dog. You do. I was walking. We were passing. I was in the car with my friend Andrew uh, yesterday. And we passed some lady who was walking down the street funny and and said something about her. And I was just wondering how many people have like made a funny voice for me as I've been walking down the street. Or imagine like the extent <laughs> of my you, life. And You made a funny voice for her? Just like, I don't know, it was just some stupid moment. But don't you think like every time you go to like a show or see all these like all the all these people yeah. have completely full lives and Well, they have lives. They have lives, but they like care about things and they You think so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, no, I do. I, I think about that all the time, that because you get so self-involved, you get so kind of into your own trip, that you, sometimes you forget that, like, everyone, the per- that publicist who just left, she's got, like, she's got a car, no, I music she, she's chosen. I think she, she disappeared. She's done. Like, she, as soon as... She's going out of Europe. As soon as she's out of our field of vision, she she evaporates, right? Uh, that's well, what happens with people. Well, well I think uh, I think there is some philosophical, uh, you know, writing about that, about, de- you know, does she really exist right now? I don't, it's not a, this is a, sort of deep for the morning, <laughs> isn't it? I started listening. I don't know why I found on my iPhone, there's like iTunes has like a university thing. You can get uh, lectures and classes. Oh, really? And at some point, I guess I had downloaded like a 27-hour course on death. And I just started listening <laughs> to it on like planes. And what, what are you learning? It's this guy from Yale, which I was like, oh, this is going to be way above my head. Yeah. But he's actually like, he just speaks very normally. And, yeah. and so he's like, okay, I'm going to spend the next 27 uh, hours uh, proving that there's no soul <laughs> and that uh, there's nothing else. No. And, and why that's not a bad thing. But sure. Uh, yes, that's what I've been listening to on my, on my way to work. I don't know. I'd, I'd rather stay a romantic. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that's probably, it seems to me, yeah, okay, everything's a chemical process and there's probably no soul. And when we die, we just kind of, you know, rot and melt yeah, into garbage. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's that. <laughs> but then what's, you know, then, then again, we're back to what, what's the point then? But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But I'm, not that the soul is a big point or anything, but you want to, I don't fucking know, Chase. <laughs> it's heavy. It's you heavy. Don't fucking know. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't think about it. I don't think of, I don't really think about what's that going to happen after I die. I do sometimes think I'm dying and I find that paralyzing. I, I'm much more worried about getting old and like than dying. I, yeah, I'm not afraid of dying. I don't think, but, but just the idea of like waking up. And like having like feeling like shit every day and more and more that just seems like a. I have a, I have a problem with that when I when in that same process of uh, you know looking at people and projecting lives when I see really old people not in a bad way but I'm like oh my god that's you know that and they're probably yeah. fine they're probably like I feel great but to me it's like that's that's the big payoff I mean what I don't I don't you know it doesn't no. it, se- it seems after a certain point it's just uh, not necessarily that it's downhill but. You just have to be comfortable with the, you know, you did what you did. That was it. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like we're there. <laughs> <laughs> We've arrived? Yeah, I think so, yeah. But I, you did a lot of things. You've done a lot of things. Yeah, no, I feel like I'm I'm fine. I'm having... You're ready I, to die. I had a good time. I'm ready. You're no. ready. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... I, 
Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I don't know. I used to, I used to when I was younger, I used to kind of live in that anticipatory way of just like, okay, once I get to this point, then things will get going, or uh, then I'll I'll get happier if I lose you know weight or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, I think I was able to shake that. I feel like I feel like I've been better you're the last not, couple of years. Not uh, obsessing. You're you're allowing yourself to experience some. Uh, some uh, peace of mind and gratitude for your achievements. I think so. Not my achievements, but just my day to day. Oh, like uh, you're okay. Like I'm, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, not yeah. freaking out right now. Yeah, not right now. I used to be freaking out all the time. And How then, old are you? Uh, I'm 33. You're a young man. I see. I felt like uh, at 20, I felt like I was done. I was like old. I was washed up. And what, like, what, what, what was the indicator of that? I, what what I, was the moment when you looked <laughs> at your life and said, "This is over"? I dropped out of uh, college to try to like make a, a movie like an indie movie and uh, I convinced a bunch of my friends to drop out and we you made it. You convinced them to drop out of college? Yeah, I don't know why that necessarily was going to be part of it <laughs> um, but I was like we, I was like, college is stupid we don't need to go to college that's like it was when people started to make movies on video and uh-huh. and like the like it was just after like the 90s yeah. indie whatever and sure. I was like we'll make a movie and we'll go drive across the country and we'll show it to people and so I we made it over summer and I dropped out and then, uh, and then it was terrible. It was just like, and I knew while I was making it, I was like, oh, this isn't that good. <laughs> and um, How many people did you destroy, uh, you, know, do, you know, talk out of college? <laughs> I think four. You were able to talk four people to drop out of college or were they, how'd they frame it to their parents? Like, we're taking a semester off. I don't know. That wasn't my responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they had to handle this conversation. You just wanted to mislead them and then it was on them. I think I talked a really big game and then... And then they all went back, except I think one of them. But yeah. I think everyone pretty much wound up uh, being like, "Yeah, did, no, this isn't." This did isn't you go working. back? Uh, no, but I almost did. I, yeah. I, the movie was a disaster and it was stupid. We, we, we were like, "Yeah, let's drive around the country and show it at colleges." So we did this road trip in uh, like January, where all the schools were off, and and we didn't basically wind up showing it anywhere. I went back home and I was really depressed, and I was like, "I guess I'll just go back to school then and, uh, and try to finish." And then. I wound up uh, getting a job from a guy I met in a coffee shop as like a video editor, and I was like, "I'll try this out for the summer, and then probably go back to school." And then I wound up staying there for like four or five years. Oh, at the video editing place? Yeah, editing, and then and that's that, good training, though. It was good because I got to I taught myself like how to edit and direct and and all this stuff. And then that, and at the same time, I was like going to that was up in Rockland County in New York. That was, but that's like you know for what you do. I mean, that was sort of one of those weird, coincidental, pivotal things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it really, uh, it was good. They had equipment. They allowed me to use it, and I would go see, like, shows at Rafifi or whatever, right. or, or uh, UCB. And, and Ro- it was, this was, in, where's Rockland? It's above Westchester. But you're, like, all full-on New York guy. I grew up in the Bronx, and then uh, my family moved to a town called Pelham when I was, like, 13 or 14. But Woloner? Yeah, and that's uh, that's Jewish, right? It's Jewish, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Jewish Bronx. Jewish Bronx. Yeah. And what, and, and when you were a kid, I know that you have a, a past in show business. Yeah, I was uh, I was a kid actor from uh, when I was like four years old to about twelve. How does that like? How does that happen? Who makes that decision? Who was pushing you? My parents weren't actually. They were really. They were. I had really good parents. So, at and... four years old, you had chosen your career path. No, it's, and, <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. At four years old, I knew I actually I really wanted to be a director. <laughs> and uh, they, my uh, my dad, um, both my parents were teachers. My dad uh, on weekends was uh, like a kid's birthday party magician, and uh, and I would go. Was he any good? 
You know, I couldn't. I think so. Yeah, I mean, kids were happy. I, yeah, he's, he's he, great. Doesn't take much. He was to... great. Yeah, he has a he's a great performer. He's still like I think he's still like the cool teacher. Like kids, I, I see kids tweeting about him when I search my own name on Twitter, and like Mr. Walleter is the best because uh, I think he kind of doesn't give a shit in a lot of like he's just kind of like he doesn't treat kids like idiots. Yeah, yeah. Or if he does, what does uh, he teach? It's funny. He used to teach woodshop and. Uh, and then it became like technology and woodshop. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. For, uh, Jewish yeah, for shop Jew, teacher. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that doesn't happen too often. No. I, well, but, you know what do I know? I get accused of being, you know, sort of like enough with the Jew stuff. You know, don't be a Jewish elitist. Whatever. We all have our conceptions of <laughs> what a Jew does and doesn't do. Of course, there are Jewish shop teachers. Yeah, I guess so. I grew, you know, it seemed normal growing up. <laughs> but the, the shop. So you okay? So you worked with your dad at the. Did did that happen? Is that a real thing? I that is real. We. I just remember I was like three or four years old, and and it's a story I like told so much that I don't even. I don't think it's really evolved, but I. I think it's verified. I asked my parents again recently. I was like, it is, is this true? I, but we like we got robbed, and to make extra money, my dad started doing these. He was like into magic as a kid, and he started doing these shows. What do you mean he got robbed? We were on a road trip to Boston, like a camping trip, and the you way were my... going to camp in Boston? <laughs> I guess so. Outside is there a forest? Yeah. yeah. Is there a forest in Boston? <laughs> is yeah. there sure, part of town? Most of the town is forest. <laughs> it's a small settlement of people downtown by the state house, but the rest is forest. No, uh, you don't have to travel very far outside of Boston to find some woods. I guess that's what we were doing. Yeah. We were parked by the Children's Museum. Our car was stolen, and they. I guess we had a lot of stuff in there, and the way my parents told me the story is that, yeah, my dad just started doing magic shows for kids, which was like a hobby of his growing up. What, and did your dad bring everything your parents owned on vacation? I suppose so, but what would that be? Like I mean, a I, box of jewelry <laughs> and the cash yeah, in the we bank? Had, We're going camping, better empty the bank account. We had one giant uh, diamond that we left in the back seat <laughs> that was all my parents. It was passed out. Well, I mean, you know, you're, if you're on a teacher's salary and, you know, a car and some shit, is that's a big deal. It's a big hit. And we were living, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like Riverdale or anything. It was like the Bronx, the Bronx. It wasn't dangerous, but we didn't, I mean, we weren't, uh, we didn't have money or anything growing right up. well yeah. yeah i mean and so it's a big hit and it, cars get stolen in boston yeah i my car got well actually my car was stolen in uh rhode island and that's why i have a personal problem with rhode island really <laughs> all right so he goes into magic at it because uh he, you he, were robbed in boston we were robbed. He goes so into magic. no camping i'm taking it i don't remember camping i remember taking the train home oh, i mean yeah. i was like i was three or four and it's then horrible. yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like a disappointment i know and and then he started doing these these kids shows, and then I became like the plant in the audience where I would go to these kids' birthday parties. You were a shill? Basically, yeah. Your dad took you, so look, just to pretend <laughs> like you're not mine, and at the right time, <laughs> yeah. do this. And I did, it really did take me, like years and years later, I was in my 20s when someone asked me, I was like, well, so you, so the kid whose birthday it was didn't, like there's a kid there they didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and who also who went home with the magician afterwards? <laughs> who asked you that, Sharpling? <laughs> I think I think it might have been. <laughs> I remember, but it really it was something that years later, you know, it, it didn't seemed, quite add up. No, it seemed normal forever. And I was like, yeah. oh yeah, that is strange. I also think you're at that you're at an age when you're four where you you're just kind of given friends like, oh here here's your yeah. friend. Yeah, these are the guys you'll be spending time with. <laughs> yeah, see if you can work it out. But um, but I would come and do his tricks, and then. I, I, like what was your? Do you, you have no recollection of? Oh, I only know one other guy whose dad's a magician. Who's uh, that? Nate Bargetzi. I don't know. He's a very funny guy. His dad's like you know not a. He does a bigger magic. He's mm -hmm. like a known guy. Oh yeah. yeah. No, this was like, 
Uh, Sleight of hand. Spot remover. There was something with black, white dots, black dots that appear. There was a sure. guy whose head uh, cut off. You put a balloon where his head was. And my dad would wear like a big bunny suit. Really? And then later like a, a jester costume. A jester costume. And he, uh, he was billed as Amazing Al and the Magical Rabbit. And oh, it was all, all through like a... Tri-State. He knew, um, you remember uh, Capturing the Freedmans? Yeah. He knew that guy, uh, Silly Billy, the yeah, uh, the, the kid. I think they, uh, not the the brother, the one who the documentary was supposed to be about, who was like the clown, right? The one who became a comic, the aggravate, the aggravated one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah <laughs> and yeah. Uh, I think they would like they were just part of the circle. They would like throw gigs the, to each the other. The Bronx Long Island Circuit. <laughs> yeah, like we go work with it. We do this kid gig. I have. Do I have to wear the rabbit suit? Yeah, they, they yeah. wanted a clown, but I told them I'd give him a rabbit suit. <laughs> Will you wash it? Can yeah. you get it dry clean? Oh, God. <laughs> it, uh, so we were at one show, and I think a woman came up to my dad and was like, your your kid's uh, got talent, and gave him a card of a uh, like a child actor manager. That was your big break as a shill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> she so saw the, it right in your eyes. <laughs> that kid's a star. That kid's a born liar. He's a sociopath. <laughs> You could probably be an actor. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> um, and so... It was an agent? It was a manager. Okay. It was like a kid's manager. And then uh, I started... Yeah, and I, got, I think I got like the first audition I went on. I was like, oh, this is easy. Yeah. And then it began like 10 years of just, you know, rejection <laughs> and constant... But what'd like, you do? What were the first roles? It's like a kick cereal commercial. Kicks. And, I don't uh, remember what kicks... What, which one's kicks? That's the, Trix is I, the rabbit. Kicks... Death. Kicks is like the disgusting, healthy one. I oh, think. it is? It's is like it even the, around anymore? I don't, I don't think know. so. Really? Yeah, it maybe it isn't. It's just like a flavorless balls of oh, uh, okay. of dough. And so you did commercials. You were the cute kid on the commercials with the spoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I think I did like 30 or 40 commercials. Oh my god. And then and I I got to do like I came close on things and I did like like uh, this movie Weekend at Birdies. It's like No, I, I yeah, remember that movie. Ridiculous the movie. dead guy, right? Yeah, and really you did. were you played a kid, I guess. I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> we thought the corpse of uh Bernie was like was still alive and I was on the beach and I like buried him in the sand and fired a gun and it was fun. It was good. I did, my parents knew like they they were they were really young. My parents were 20. My mom was 23 when she had me and my dad was 25. Oh, and mine too. That's weird. Really? My parents were they got together when they were like 13 and 15. Huh. Well, I'm glad they waited. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're yeah. still they're still married. Uh-huh. And uh and so um yeah, no, just TV shows. And but the, and that, but the but. movie that must have been so did were you taken with show business? I mean, did, was there some point where you know, you knew that this was going to be your life? I don't know. I think it, it happened so young that I, I was still forming, you know, like yeah. ideas of what did a normal lot of, is. You did a lot of work. Well, there's no normal if you're doing commercials. If you do like 30 or 40 commercials, and I, I mean, how do you still, you know, and you're on TV, you got to have kids going like, oh, we saw you on the thing. Yeah, I don't really, I don't remember any of that or feeling uh, special or huh. different or anything. I, I, I don't know. But I also don't remember... A lot of that. Do you remember like a lot of being really young like that? No, like, you just get bits and pieces. And like, I, I barely remember a few years ago. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've lived in like four or five cities and it becomes really challenging. That's the one thing I noticed about getting older is that like if someone comes up to me and goes, Mark, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna need a city. I'm gonna need a context. Can you help me out here? Yeah. No, didn't I'm we not, or didn't we point. sleep together? What, <laughs> where do you fit in? I can't recognize anyone. Uh, Who's wearing sunglasses? I like at all. I can't like some like at a coffee shop or whatever. I used to be really good with um with recognizing people, but never that great with names. With but the, now yeah. the sort of 
so many people have come and gone and people change when you're like, I'm 50. So if I haven't seen somebody in 20 years, they don't look like who, you, you know what I mean? It's jarring. You're like, oh my God, what happened? I mean, good to see you. <laughs> Time has really taken its toll. That's a good, that's a good opener. To good icebreaker. Yeah. Wow. So, so time. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What Ooh. the hell did life do to Ouch. you? So, all right, so you go through high school, you're still acting, and you're still in the Bronx? I was still, uh, by the time of high school, we'd moved to the town oh, of Pelham, Pelham, and then- That's uh, a little uh, north of New York? It's just north. It's like 20 minutes right. north of the city. And then, uh, and I stopped acting when I was uh, about 12. I, I just, I, that, that I do remember very vividly. I was going uh, to an audition for some, some commercial or whatever, and, uh, and I, came, I, don't know, I had just gotten glasses. I had just uh, realized my eyes weren't good, and I went in, and like this table full of like ad guys just started- uh, like laughing at me, like oh, uh, little Woody Allen here, uh, and I just remember thinking, like, I don't need this shit. I'm a kid. What am I doing here? And so I was just like, I don't want. I don't really want to do this anymore. That was pretty. Uh, that was pretty grounded, and and good for you standing up for yourself. I remember like everyone who I met told uh, and told that I was a child actor. They're like, oh, watch out, you're gonna die probably. So all through that, I do remember not wanting to like be too like become famous or or do too well because. Everyone, it, it's such a cautionary tale. It's like, that oh, child it, actor it doesn't, doesn't work out. Yeah. Usually, doesn't end well. If you if you do really well as a child actor, it almost well, yeah, never works. It's hard, out. man. Yeah. I mean, you know, who is there that is really? I mean, Seth Green does okay. Yeah, Ron Howard, I suppose. Well, yeah, that was, feels like a different time. <laughs> yeah. for some reason. No, Seth Green. Yeah, he does really well. well you he's know, seen... he's finding his. You know, he does. He does things. He keeps busy. Yeah, yeah. He's, not, he's once, not dead. <laughs> right, and I think that. But I think once you rely on the industry to take care of you, it can get a little troublesome. I think it's yeah. hard to grow up and be a functioning adult when you've been through that. It's also really weird uh, for a kid that age to grow up just being the center of attention and with all these expectations on you. And I mean, I never felt like I was like the breadwinner of my family or anything. What's good is that my parents were really, really laid back about the whole thing, and were always just like, "If you don't want to do this, right? You know, this should we should." But it must have helped out. I mean, you know, you, you you got your car stolen in Boston. I mean, it must have. <laughs> Been somewhat of a windfall when the kicks money came in. <laughs> it must have. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I. I mean, a have lot you of seen any of that money, Jason? No, it's all gone. No, I had it. I saw it. That's one of the reasons why I decided to drop out of college. Was I? I did. A, I did uh, a pilot. I did like, or it was. I did a couple episodes of a show when I was twelve out here that was going to be like a mid-season show for ABC, and then we just shot two episodes, and they tested it, and test audiences did not, like, respond to me. <laughs> and oh, they, really? And they shut it down. And they told you that? Yeah. Oh, and they nice. And so I remember, so I came back, and, and that money that you make is locked, like, a certain amount is locked up, uh, and uh, and I got it when I was 18, so I had, I think, like, thirty or $40,000 in cash when I was 18. That was it? Yeah, something from a, like that. Or a maybe... Ca I career just, in commercials? <laughs> I know I had that much. Maybe there was more. I think you ought to talk to your parents. I should probably talk They're to my parents. They're holding out on you. <laughs> are they still together? They are still together, yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah. They're, they actually, they live... Um, they're living back in the Bronx now. They because they 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 bought this house in uh, Westchester and then uh, yeah uh, everyone kind of moved out and so uh, I had two younger brothers and then uh, and so then they moved back to this house in the Bronx. So do you remember the commercials you did? I just yeah I mean I remember them but only because we had like a, a beta tape in the house that you know we would record them. Oh when so they like came years on. later you 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 don't really have a, a physical recollection of what you were just bits and pieces. The only thing I really remember is there was one for Pop Rocks where. Uh, it, it was like a bunch of kids. Yeah, 
And then they were like, we need a volunteer. And I raised my hand first. And they're like, okay, you can go home. <laughs> and, and then I remember driving home with, I think my dad was like, why'd you raise your hand? <laughs> you wanted to be first. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was a good thing. <laughs> That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. We need a volunteer. All right, you, out. You're <laughs> done. <laughs> oh, that's how life works. That's the best yeah. metaphor for life I've yeah. ever heard. <laughs> I need a volunteer. Me! All right, you're finished. <laughs> All right, that should teach the rest of you kids a lesson. Yeah. Don't trust anyone. <laughs> Don't stick your nose out. All right, so when you turned your back on the career of a child star... <laughs> I mean, what was what you what you're in your early like, teens? Yeah, I was 13, I think. Or I did the last thing I did. I, I did you bar mitzvah. Yeah, that was in the Bronx, though. So I think I started going. My dad. So my dad got a job teaching in this school in this nicer neighborhood, and then we started going to school there. And then a couple of years later, we moved from from the Bronx there. Yeah. Um, but I got bar mitzvah in the Bronx. Yeah. Yeah. Old timey, like full on. Real old timey. Yeah, we weren't uh, super religious or anything, but it was. Yeah, it was a legit. Yeah, bar mitzvah. Yeah. It, was, it was a big production. Yeah. Sure, big production. You had to study, I st- learn. Yeah, it, I know it. Did you do Friday and Saturday? Oh God, I don't know. I don't think so. No, yeah, because we was... did Friday and Saturday where I lived. I don't know why. It was that a two day event. Kind of. You know, you did the service on Friday night, which was the you know sort of easier one. That was sort of like the setup, and then you know on uh, on Saturday the old men came up and unrolled the thing. <laughs> All right, here's the thing. Point to where you're going to... Oh, yeah. Point to where you're going to pretend like you're reading from what you memorized. Was it the thing with the little hand on the it yid, with the pointer? The yid. I think it's called the... The yid? That's the, that can't the, be the what person. It's called. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a yid. I forget what it's called. Yeah, the thing with the little finger on it. Yeah, yeah I yeah. remember liking that. <laughs> and also, the twist. they had these twisty candles that looked really weird. With the... Yeah, the braided candles? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. That's, that's, that's some cool stuff about, sure, yeah, <laughs> about the, being yeah, Jewish. Yeah, those two things. Cool. The, that's about it. Pointer yeah. with the hand on it that you read the Torah with, and the if they maybe if you, you're lucky, you have a twisty candle at some point during and, your and thing. And the, the rest of it's really a hassle. Really yeah, it's just hazy inconvenience. It's, it feels like a lot of pressure from a lot of old men that are staying. I just remember that you know there are these you know the elders of the synagogue. You're just surrounded by men as you read that thing, and you're like, I'm I'm doing it. What do you want from me? I remember, yeah, they would call. I mean, we lived really close to our synagogue, and they would call and be like, oh, we need a minion. We, uh, we were missing yeah, two guys. Yeah. And I would Bring go kid. with my dad sometimes. It's yeah. Like, dad, you were a shill at a minion, too. <laughs> <laughs> Your dad just dragged you along. I was, just a, I was a for hire shill. I would, do, I would just show <laughs> do up. minions, magic, do magic. shows. <laughs> <laughs> so... So what was the uh, what was the plan then? So you, you, when did you start I actually just, doing you know making films and doing that? Kind actually, of around that age, I I I knew I wanted to just kind of go to high school and not really be an actor anymore. But then when I was about twelve, this this pilot I did weirdly uh, was was about a kid who like made movies with his friends, and I, then I I just started doing that when I uh, came back, which I don't I never thought that I kind of modeled what I wanted to do based on that, but it was pretty similar. And so I just started making videos with my cousins and like on beta just on um, or vhs what was the format it was a uh, high high eight it was these little so, oh tapes. so you had the little ones yeah that was already yeah because you're 33 that was already available when i was younger you know you had to have a pretty clunky vhs recorder mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like you had the machines that you fit the whole vhs yeah with that big into. thing that yeah. goes down with the thing that clicks in <laughs> yeah this was one step after that they yeah. were making these little tapes and then uh we just edit them in camera i remember doing like really elaborate stuff with trying to sync music up to it by holding like a headphone right to the 
the mic, the camera, and pausing the music when I would press record and all this stuff. And Isn't that weird? Because you know, uh, like when you're younger, they, I mean, if you have the brain for it, you know the effect you want, but you don't know how it's done. Right. But you're going to figure out a way to to make a facsimile of it. Yeah. But that, I mean, I think that's good training. You know, and it's it must be hilarious to watch that kind of stuff. <laughs> I was yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. We, me and my cousins would make movies just constantly. I remember thinking like, okay, why doesn't this look like a movie? Okay, what about this? Okay, and just trying to figure out certain things and, yeah. uh, and just you know yeah, we made tons and tons of them and when you uh, so what in high school you were making some movies Did you, and you didn't do any acting you didn't do any theater you didn't do I did high school theater yeah I would still mm. do that I guess which yeah. is weird because yeah. I wasn't I could never sing or anything but oh really you musicals I, was, and... I never I think I did I did like um, my my favorite year Guys and Dolls those sure those are great yeah. great high school musicals <laughs> yeah 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 where you, you understand everything that's being talked about in the musical <laughs> yeah. but that i mean I, I didn't do any of that but I, there's a certain type of person that does that you, yeah. you danced a little no never i have no i'm really uh i can i can hardly move i like i'm not i'm not uh graceful and i don't it seems very weird to me now like doing not only high school theater but any kind of theater even any kind of acting now i can't imagine like doing i feel so uncomfortable on you camera you couldn't do it yeah it's uh i just something changed where i was like oh okay i'm too self-conscious for this anymore like i can't it's I weird can't that you it. have like as a kid you have this kind of blind confidence and then as life chips away at you you realize <laughs> like maybe i don't fit in maybe i'm not good <laughs> maybe i'm not i guess yeah that coincided with high school and and uh it killed you it killed your spirit that's what happened yeah that's what happened jason high school <laughs> high school killed your spirit <laughs> and pushed you behind the camera i mean it was a gift on one level yeah no i'm much i also feel like i just i remember that feeling in that audition of, of people like because also knowing that you know kind of no matter how good you are or whatever the decision is almost always made as soon as you walk in of if you're the right type or right or who you are or whatever it's got nothing to do with what you're bringing to it other than the luck of genetics or whether your serendipity has has uh, delivered you a part yeah and yeah and the, the audition process is so like humiliating on both sides and uncomfortable and just like a person standing there and i definitely remember feeling like I didn't like that uh, powerlessness, and I was like, "Oh, if I like make stuff, I would, you know, that's the the only kind of control you have." Isn't that weird? I was talking to somebody last night that now because you direct, you know, you've actually been on both sides of that, and it, 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 I have too. And as I because I'm producing on the show that I'm in, I have to be at auditions, <laughs> and having been in an audition. You just see these people. It's there's such a. It's so heart wrenching. Yeah, it's it's awful. It's like the worst, and, uh, and it's, <laughs> most upsetting. Thing. And then you kind of think like you know this is they want these two lines. Yeah, I don't know if they've you know they looks like they've done a couple of things, but there's that that moment where you realize like what are what are people what are we holding on to? What are, <laughs> you know what, what show business is like. How does their life look? <laughs> what and, are we doing? Yeah, and, and I'm I'm not I'm not condescending actors. Everybody's gonna have their own process and 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 fight for what they want to fight for. But they're auditioning in the building I'm working in, and you just see these people just waiting for this opportunity to stand you know in front of these people to do like a line or two, and it's it's brutal. Yeah. Do you do you go to actual auditions for your show, or you just watch tape? 
tapes. No, I'll go to some auditions. Oh, man, I'll, I'll, I haven't done that in a long time. I'll read with people. Oh, that's oh, that's good because a lot of time, a lot of your thing is about chemistry with people. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's just I, I think it's nice, but then it's still like you know, then you still kind of run, like I ran into some woman who auditioned and didn't get it, and it's sort of like, oh hey, yeah, <laughs> oh. no, you were really good. How's everything going for you? I'm sorry about that. You know, you could be the 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 straw that breaks the camel's back. <laughs> that was the last time I went in on anything. Oh God, I always think about because because we just uh, I'm actually we just watched auditions on tape. And um, for Eagleheart, yeah, and we, I just think about each person, just the amount of like time they may have had to sit in traffic to get there, or thought they put into this like stupid one line where right. they get shot in the head or whatever. Yeah, well, I guess that, like you know, part of it is, you, I don't know, there's a selfishness to projecting what we're, you know, to, yeah, to, you know, like they they've chosen their life. That's true. Yeah, and we're sitting, you know, we're sitting here like, you know, like, oh, you poor person. You had to drive in and wear your audition suit. I always, I have this thing where I always feel so bad for like, imagine how lonely people must be, or just like, oh, they probably just left and started crying. Like, right, and, and we're like, and we're the people still sitting there thinking about that. So right. who's really who's so, fucked up? They're yeah. like, you're moving on to something else, and we're like, well, they're probably like eating something, yeah, yeah. and their mind is is not thinking about anything. Yeah, like, I do, I do that same thing, and I try not to do it because I don't think it's it's obviously a fiction that we're creating. It's so easy and comfortable to create uh, fictions of. How how sad everyone's life must but be. But they're probably not. No, they're probably not. Well, let's think about it because I'm, I'm dealing with some of this stuff in therapy, actually. That because if you're if you're sitting there, there there's some part of you or, or me, like when I'm thinking about that, that I want to feel bad for somebody. Mm-hmm. Probably me. Mm-hmm. I want to experience <laughs> some shame. So if I'm not going to put it on me, why not that guy just walked out? You know, like, oh, that guy's probably sad. I feel bad for him. It's like you just made up a life for a person <laughs> so you could experience some weird, you know, proximity shame. Yeah, and also feeling bad for someone puts you in the position of not feeling like that yourself not feeling like how you imagine sure. they're feeling you just make like... up people <laughs> you make up lives for people to make yourself feel a little better and you're like this benevolent like oh these poor people yeah yeah like, exactly yeah, yeah. what yeah, can no. i do to help them <laughs> well that's a that's a better position to be in than the person who who is actually yeah going who you, who you you're know, feeling up. sad or right. whatever yeah right okay so it's sort of some sort of survival mechanism to <laughs> yeah to to enable us to, to go another day or it's something like well their life's not so great like right. oh they probably go home and like you know, right. I don't know how you find joy. <laughs> Do you, have you experienced joy? Yeah, yeah, lots of joy. Really? I've been really lucky. I mean, I've I've made a lot of mistakes and had like a lot of like shitty times, but uh, but yeah, no. I, the past couple of years, I've been pretty happy. Where did you go to college for a year? Um, I went to Sarah Lawrence College, which is. Uh... Are you a girl? <laughs> did, yeah. I, did I yes. miss something? Yeah, no. It's a. Uh, <laughs> it became uh, with a mixed. I know, I know. Uh, the 70s i think but it's still mostly women no it's kind of a hippie yeah. school who else did uh, who else went there i know uh, uh brian no. de palma barbara walters i think uh uh-huh. yoko ono oh that's a pretty good lineup ira from yola tango i think sure there, ira yeah, yeah 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 um who it was else? kind of a hippie school kind of half a uh, kind of groovy liberal arts it was really earthy. hippie it was i think like uh drugs were really like it was like a big uh heroin school when i went there i think because i think it was because like that was the time it was like a few years after train spotting came out and really like influenced all these kids that made it like seem really cool and i was so shy in college i i lived at home the first year and just drove to class and came back because i don't need college i don't need it was in new york right what part where was it was it it was uh in a town called i think not larchmont yeah bronxville bronxville Bronxville. Yeah. yeah 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 um and 
I uh, it's like the most expensive school in the country, I think. And that was actually that. Um, that's where some of that uh, commercial money. Th- that's went. where all of it went. I I think I paid for my first year uh, in college in cash, yeah. and then uh, and then and just saw like all this money came to me when I was eighteen. I was like, oh, that's great, I'm rich. And then uh, just every month would write these checks and then see it go go away more and more. And then by the end, I was like, okay, now I'm broke <laughs> and I was like what am I getting out of this and then that yeah. same day I think I checked my balance that's another thing I remember vividly I was like uh checking my balance at ATM and I was like wait I have no more money and I'm like taking three classes about uh you know whatever like some silly holocaust thing or whatever <laughs> yeah. not not the, the that, holocaust yeah. thing but just some some kind of meaningless thing and then I was like I have no money and I'm not learning anything and then uh, and I didn't get into a film class the first year but you weren't strung out on heroin no, no no I was so I didn't do any drugs in college I didn't um I didn't take advantage of the fact that it was like 80% girls I just like I was at home the first year and I didn't really I had a couple friends and then the second year I like stayed in my room and I was really, I did not take advantage of college. You were kind of, uh, you know, you you were not a social character. No, I mean, I wasn't like a a weirdo. I mean, I had like a a group of friends. You you just, oh, you were, okay. You you weren't sitting there, you know, causing trouble for some roommate crying. (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay, good. But I did like, I never had a roommate. I think I spent a lot of time in my room alone. I also like, I was making, the second year I was making, I got into a film class and I made a few uh shorts and i was just like working on them a lot and and uh so it sounds like you used the time pretty well yeah but it was all about like i gotta start doing stuff and i gotta get out of here and i need i just was very restless to, how the like, fuck did going. brian de palma go to sarah lawrence because he's like in his 60s like yeah he, i think he must have gone like the first year it, it allowed males in oh, okay i'm pretty sure he went there i could be wrong about all right I mean, i'm sure he went i mean there. i mean i'm not i'm not looking to you for <laughs> i could look it up but i just want you to check your facts when you get home <laughs> You're gonna be dropping Brian De Palma's name. <laughs> I think he made a. I think he made his first film there. It shows how little I know about anything. What were the films you were making at Sarah Lawrence? I made a, a documentary about my brother, which um, which I was really proud of. I haven't watched in years and years, but he um, he had this thing. He actually he he he's uh he knows like sharply. He's called it the best show. He has this puppet that he made, um, which ties in this whole thing. He saw this uh, clip on Sesame Street when he was like two or three years old that completely traumatized him. And like screwed him up, and he what was like, clip? "It was uh, a sketch where uh, Bert and Ernie were in this uh, museum in ancient Egypt, or like you know in Egypt, and there was a mummy that looked like Ernie. It was like an Abbott and Costello thing, right. and there was like uh, Ernie would go away, and there's this mummy that looked like Ernie that would tap uh, Bert on the shoulder, uh-huh. and then Ernie would come back and he'd be like, "I swear this thing just tapped me on the shoulder," and Ernie would be like, "Come on, you're you're just being scared." And it was truly scary. But it was this big like Ernie statue yeah, yeah. was the one that just had like this blank scary look at his face and would always like tap him and then he'd come back he'd be like I swear to god this thing just uh, this thing just tapped me he's like you're being crazy yeah. and it also I think it really plays into like these like really the kid fears of like no one's gonna believe me no one right. takes me seriously so and it, it fucked your brother and up and so he saw it and then oh, it's all he could talk about and we knew it was this thing that scared him and me and my dad actually teased him a lot about it cause we thought it was like it was really funny how this thing was just like it spooked him Yeah. and then I was in college and I had to make a documentary about something I was like oh I'll interview Zach about uh that or anything and I'll make some like like Errol Morris ripoff kind of like you know him talking to camera about how this thing and then talking to him about it um realized like how much it like truly like affected his day-to-day life to to that day he was like um I guess he was 18 at the time really? and it was still something he thought about constantly oh and God. like every night and taking a shower and 
And seeing that, my uh, my parents got him into therapy, and he actually. But it was like this thing that uh, it was like this like pretty meaningful thing for us. Where I was like, oh my god, like, you, you unearthed you you helped solve your brother's trauma. Issues. Yeah, yeah. And so then, and now he like makes his own puppets and has uh, has this whole puppet thing going on. But I think it all comes from that. Really, he he's a he's a puppeteer for a living. No, he uh, he has this puppet that he made. Uh, Named Wally uh, Wackerman, that he's actually he's hosted uh, the best show a few times as this puppet. Like oh, Tom's okay. brought him on, yeah, yeah. and uh, there's all this kind of this real, real emotional ups and downs with it. And um, uh, Tom kind of became like very obsessed with my family, and like started having <laughs> my brothers host his show and pitting them against each other. And um, he really, uh... <laughs> my little brother Harry had a. Um, uh, he's he's uh, nine years younger than me. He's living out here now, and he was going to college and had this radio show at uh, SUNY New Paltz. Yeah, uh, and with with his buddy there, and then Tom, uh, who I I knew at the time, but not as well as I do now, just started calling in. It wasn't a call in show, but Tom would just listen to it yeah. and call in, <laughs> pretending to be like the dean. Yeah, and like really angry that they had played the song "Rich Girl" because it had the word "bitch" in it. <laughs> and Harry called himself the H Man on the on the radio and. Uh, and he'd be like, you got the H-Man. He's like, hey, this is Dean Richards. <laughs> he's like, oh, this is Harry. <laughs> and, um, and Tom would just start giggling and hang up. <laughs> and then uh, and then, and then, he uh, just started ha- having Harry host Tom's his show. The, he's the best. Yeah. So when you dropped out. So I was so. just, I was like, I'm going to make a movie. I'm going to write a movie. I'm going to write an indie movie. I, I, uh, we're going to go to, we'll make it for no money. So I, I shot over the summer. And, now that you uh, told me it's Sarah Lawrence, I, I I no longer think it's that impressive that you talked four people out of jail. <laughs> no, they were did. they were high school friends. They had gone to schools all around the country. Oh, and, uh, that's, and I was okay, like, still impressive. So, so you like, had to do some outreach. I was like, we're gonna get the gang back together. We're gonna make a movie. We're all become famous, and then we made it, and it was terrible. What was the movie? Oh, it was it was really truly awful. I think I've, I've managed to get most copies destroyed. <laughs> it hasn't. It's not really floating around. Um, but it was just like one of these movies where like just like a kind of shitty 90s uh, inward like movies when, when people thought their own lives were worth making movies about with kind of like but then it and it thought it was saying something about it kind of becomes this big action movie by the end. But it was really in hindsight more about just making every mistake that I could um, in a not very public or expensive way. But right. I did feel like I mean, I, I watched it I was like, oh, this this is terrible. We didn't really get it anywhere except one like uh film festival uh in san francisco it was in like the worst neighborhood and it was and we were the only people in the audience so we drove across the country and went to this thing and um and i was i came back home you were the only people in the audience there were like two other like drunks oh, there boy. <laughs> and so i was like well this is it and so i was 20 i was like well i tried and i'm done <laughs> and so and i re i reapplied all right like i told school i was gonna come back and uh but then while we were looking at, uh, you know, for like a location in this movie, in this coffee shop, this guy overheard me and then he wound up calling me a few months later. The um, editing guy. Yeah. He called me while I was at Sundance. We'd went, we'd gone to Sundance in, uh, I guess, 2000. With that movie? Yeah, but not, but just to, just like Hang literally around? with it, like holding a tape of it, <laughs> like without any plan <laughs> that, beyond that. That was your idea? Yeah. We'll like, just go. Yeah, we'll take it to Sundance. We'll take this tape there. <laughs> and, and we'll be lay it down Where on Where do we Street. show this? <laughs> Is there a VHS player, a hi player? <laughs> there are people that do that. We weren't nearly that industrious. Well, that was, was probably before Slamdance too, right? It was, there, Slamdance was there. I remember driving up the hill and going there and, and just being really depressed and being like, well, yeah, I'm not part of this. I don't know why I came here. <laughs> that was also part of this thing. I was like, I don't want to come back here unless uh, 
I have a reason to like um just because it was like uh, yeah this is, it was really stupid. It was really that whole period was about making every mistake I could. It's important to do that. I mean, don't you yeah. look back on it in retrospect? I mean, you obviously had some balls to do that. Yeah, more know, than they, I would now. I, I don't know why my parents were so cool with me like just dropping <laughs> out and like, yeah. Was, well, I mean, you know, teachers are I I mean, uh, they probably were encouraging your creativity. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? You weren't on drugs. That's true. No, I was a, I was a good kid. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, but it was but right now I would uh, you know, I want to have an apartment and <laughs> don't want to you know. So I wouldn't I don't think I would do anything that that risky but yeah i had i had big uh, big plans back then and so i came back and i was like hey i'm done and uh and then by coincidence this guy you know pulls you into this gig yeah just by coincidence and then i was like well i'll do this for a few months i'll go back to school i wound up staying there and but i like that story though because you know so it's in an editing house yeah we made uh training videos for um like uh, software, like Photoshop and After Effects, Final Cut. So but that's it was, I it was, it was but it was like I, I like when things like that work out in life. Where, despite whatever you may have been thinking at the time, it was exactly the education that you needed. Yeah, I feel. Like, <laughs> I mean, everything is that. Like I guess, but I mean, that was practical. That was that was literally that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went to it. That <laughs> was know. actually the education. That right. I you know, yeah. You, you, you probably <laughs> couldn't have gotten the hands-on experience you got there at school. You know, and just no. on your own, you just sort of were forced to learn how to cut movies. Well, even at school, they didn't have the equipment of like uh, Final Cut and digital stuff. So I remember I would go when I was working on these films I did in school. I would go to my dad's. Uh, middle school class and sit in the back of the room working on a computer while he was teaching and edit uh, you had to go to middle school to use yeah. equipment that the college didn't have yeah yeah because they still had like big film like uh flatbed editors and stuff oh like that. really were, were you cutting video. tape yeah i was oh, i was just uh editing I was, I was getting film in school I, I shot one thing on 16 millimeter and edited it by hand and uh and that was that so was they were still that. doing that that was must have yeah. been like the last year or two i can't imagine yeah. That that education that is even available, or, or unless it's some sort of weird retro kind of like <laughs> yeah. who wants to learn how to do it the old time yeah, way? It's like, like they have one machine for for classicists of, of some kind. Yeah, it seems that film like archivist a, or like a that's like a colonial Williamsburg kind of thing. like yeah, like oh, if you want to see how people did it a hundred years ago, that's the only reason you. Would. I, I want is that true? I, I wonder like about that. That there really is no reason to teach. That type of editing, unless someone's working in that medium for artistic reasons or or an archivist of some kind, I mean, I, I can't that's imagine. That's got to, yeah. I th that's the only reason. Because there's I mean, no practical. It's it's not needed anymore. It's good to learn that way. It's good to have done that, just because you may. It's so much different uh, than um, computer editing because you're making destructive decisions. You're actually cutting things with scissors. That you can't like, do. You can't put back. You can put back, but it's a uh, big it's like a hassle. It just involves tape. And... Do you imagine how long it took for people to cut movies? I, I can't mean, imagine. It's that mind blowing. Any movie was made before now. Like like it's mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the time budgets must have been so different. But I, I think also there was a confidence that um, you sort of like had to make decisions and like that's it. Yeah, you know, it, it's like if, we, if we're going to bring this back, or we want to make some cuts, it's another. It's going to take another year. <laughs> yeah, you know. Whereas, like now, it's sort of like, can you get it done in two hours? Yeah, we can do it. We can get a new a new copy of it in two hours. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's it's a completely no, different way. The of confidence thinking. involved in it, that that's what's sort of amazing is that when you even look at writing. Uh, where it's sort of like th this was yeah, the typewriter, yeah, like yeah, that was the decision they made. There's no <laughs> yeah. cut and pasting. There's yeah. no like, what's on my clipboard? Yeah, like any screenplay for any movie back in the day, like if you had to change the line, you either retype the whole page or you had to paint white paint yeah. over it. Yeah, there was like you know that was it. You know those ideas. I mean, are they more pure? Are they more confident? Do they come like I, I don't know that I'd have to really 
think about that and, and probably write a long paper on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like tweets right now. Once they're out, they're out there in the world, and oh, there's God, no turning right. back. And yeah, that's I, uh, a it's, great work being that done. Can really, that can really bite you in the ass. That one. <laughs> I delete most tweets that I put up. Well, they but they're still on. You know, they'll still still be in people's feeds till they refresh it, though. Is that yeah? That's true. And sometimes afterwards, yeah. Sometimes they'll just there'll be ghosts that. Go yeah, and out then there. there's always assholes that will like copy it. You know, <laughs> oh, that's knowing, the worst. Yeah, no, you remember can't. this one? You fuck. That was the one with the nine typos. I got it down to three. I can't seem to get through 140 characters without two typos. Some, well, you had some. What was it? Was I reading something that you had some meltdown about a business you started? Oh or? yeah, that was this. Uh, I had put out that was this um, thing I had done between seasons of Eagleheart. I uh, you had a big idea. It was a really stupid idea. I wanted to see if I. The original idea was I wanted to see if I could sell something that I thought was really bad and stupid. Oh, and, that was the original idea. It wasn't a clever thing. No, not at all. It was, uh, it was a like, joke. It was a joke. It was like I, if I. Oh, if I put uh, Jay Leno's face on one of those Che Guevara shirts, <laughs> I bet <laughs> idiots would buy that. Like dumb college. Did kids you market it like that? No, I was. Oh, I mark. I. I, uh, I. So I was like, oh, and then I wanted to see. You know what? I've been watching uh, that show Shark Tank a lot, <laughs> and I've been thinking like an entrepreneur. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I could make money out that, or I wonder like if I could put out a thing. Yeah. And I put it out, and then. As soon as I, I put it out, uh, people were like, oh, that, who is... They didn't know it was him, and they, it looked like a monkey or whatever. And so then I started kind of acting like I was freaking out, and I started posting, guys, I... I I had 18,000 of these shirts printed up. I need... You can't but, tell me it doesn't look like him. You didn't have No, I hadn't made any of them. <laughs> no, actually, I'm, I, I am... It was, a, all, it was a hoax. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't thought out. It really just happened step by oh, step. Oh, I was going to feel bad for you. I thought, like, you had a big idea, and you <laughs> sunk some change into it. I've, I've done that. I've had T-shirt ideas that I've executed. They don't sell. Well, I did wind up losing a good deal of money on that whole thing, because, um, because then it became something that it was just uh, fun, and I just kept acting like I was... Uh, putting out all these terrible shirts and just digging my, the hole deeper and deeper, and so and then actually people like a few people wanted to buy them. I think I sold a couple hundred shirts, and so every time I put out a new one in the you know like screen printing or whatever, they make the screen and all this shit, and so. Uh, because of costs associated with that, I wound up losing a few hundred bucks. That's not it. bad. That's yeah. not bad. Yeah, no, it's not bad. It I was believe, fun. I it believe was really the fun. hoax. I thought like, oh, this is a. I, I know. I know this kind of thinking. Well, that, yeah, big idea. That was something because people started writing articles about it, and uh, and my ex, I was uh, I was uh, married briefly, and my ex wife emailed me. Uh, it was like I, I read online you're having a meltdown. Are you okay? I was like, oh no, it's totally it's fake. It's wow. a comedy. You can thing. actually get your ex wife to care about you. That's, what? <laughs> How long were you married? I was married for a year and a half, I think. Yes, and uh, but we were together for uh, seven something years. And so you got married at like six twenty five years. Yeah, yeah. You were five, five years, years in. Ago. Yeah, felt like you had to do it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was. It was. Um, I think it was also because I mean, I, I, uh, I we met at a uh, Bell and Sebastian concert <laughs> at uh, Hammerstein Ballroom in New York, and. And I was 22. So it was, and then you, it had such an impact on you, the concert. It was so romantic. <laughs> it was like the then, gayest place to right, meet. Right, right. It and like the most indie, it's, it's like, all a lie. <laughs> it was like <laughs> everything is very twee and feeling like, oh, this is the most perfect. And that was a lot of it was like, um, I mean, and she's great. We're, we're completely friends now. And Really? Yeah. I mean, we, we haven't spoken in a few years, but we will email every couple months and when check in. Apparently on when you have a problem, she'll, <laughs> if she's concerned. Yeah, she's really so. nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You okay? <laughs> no, we were much, I mean, we had a pretty tumultuous relationship, but we were much, we we're much better as friends uh, yeah. than trying to be together. And also, I mean, what happened was I, we were living in Brooklyn uh, eventually, and then 
we got married and then I uh, she really didn't ever want to live in LA and I promised her I was like well I I can work in New York we won't have yeah. to move to LA and then pretty soon after I realized like almost everyone I knew in comedy and and everything had moved out here and so I was like yeah I think I, we have to move to LA and so she came out here for a few months and it was just it just didn't work and crushed uh, her <laughs> yeah it's yeah. hard it's it's hard not being in uh show business living here I can't imagine why I love it here but I don't know that I would live here well I think that also like if you're really you know if New York is really your your home uh we, we you know if you don't look at LA as as some sort of yeah it's easy to compare the two but you can have a pretty good quality of life here so it seems that New Yorkers that are really kind of real New Yorkers they'll end up figuring out a way to get back there. Mm-hmm. But yeah. eventually people get seduced by this garbage out here. And <laughs> they start, you know, everything they always said they would never do in LA. They're like, it really is pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But it can be kind of isolating. And yeah, for someone, when you're with somebody that's not in show business, they, they, uh, either they have the fortitude to, uh, you know, uh, kind of have their own life or they just spend a lot of time resenting yours. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, I think that's basically what, what happened, but, but our situation, was always that because I was working on this show Human Giant when we were in New York and I would just like live there I would I would edit the whole show myself pretty much and and um and it was always this uh we would always just fight about how much I was invested in work and versus home and then home life seemed just like an obligation and and like you sure, to, you sure. Know, like, and, oh there she is again but that's Hi. how <laughs> <laughs> it's really and that was my really my first like real girlfriend and and so i just had all these very wrong ideas about what well, you had probably standard you, you you like i well what what do i know i'm projecting but you believe that there's this normal or there's a way to go about it. Yeah. And then when you can't do it, you think there's something wrong with them. And then eventually you move into like, you know, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, everyone, I don't know if it gets better with experience. I, um. Well, I, you, you ask me. Does it? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> you just have to know what you want and be willing to make compromises. And, you know, that that's, that, I think that's really what it comes down to is that it shouldn't be that big of a chore. It shouldn't. That's what right. I realized. That's what I realized now. I, mean, I, I, I just realized it. I'm 50. Yeah, I mean, it really. But I, it's something you can know and not really, really know you because you you hear from everyone in books, and I remember reading books, and you Google all the time. It's like, okay, a relationship is is work, but it's it's it should be the kind of like it's, it's, it's not it's not a drag. It should be good work. It right, should right. be like you want to do something. Right. That's not you know. It's yeah. But when you have the mindset that that you do. The foundation should be easy, but like in the same way that we were talking earlier about like, you know, projecting lives onto people, right. is that if you're that kind of person, if you're kind of self-involved and, and you, you like to be engaged in what you're doing, mm. but you never quite think that your life compares to other people. Oh, yeah. That, you know, it's very hard because then all of a sudden you, you're not sure what you want. Yeah, I mean, it's. I was so ambivalent about everything for years. Yeah, or except work. Except I knew. For work. I knew right. what I wanted to be doing, and right. and and you accomplish good things. You're a hard worker. I, I work hard. Yeah, definitely. I li- I mean, I I don't like too much of what I've done, but I I feel like, or I just I say oh, I could. But I could the do weird better. thing is, is that you. I mean, you know, here you know, almost an hour in, we can get into your career. Is that I was thinking about Human Giant. Is that I don't know how it came about, but you you know, we can talk about it that. But you, you were kind of involved at a very early point in guys that actually, you know, followed through and had, you know, full on, you know, comedic potential and became big comedy stars. Mm-hmm. And you were just, I don't know what, you, what, where, how you guys came together. You can tell me, but it's sort of a, an interesting thing that Sheer and, and Hubel and Ansari and a couple of the other bit players and some of the stuff are, are still, you know, very 
you know, high level comedy stars. Yeah, it's great that everyone's doing so well. It really was basically like from my from my end, I was working at this job, uh, editing all the time, and then going to a lot of comedy shows and going to like. Uh, you like you like Tinkle? Do you remember? Yeah, and, uh, with Todd, Todd, and Todd uh, Benjamin, Benjamin and yeah. Cross, and and uh, and uh, Luna, and all the other and then and just seeing a lot of stuff I liked, and then also uh, just making shorts, and but I never like hustled or anything. I would just like kind of be around and make stuff, and I wound up just making. Did I ever meet you? Was I around? No, I don't think I, I used to see you all the time. Um, but I don't think we ever talked to each other. I think I was intimidated. So you're going around, you're making shorts. You weren't too pushy. No, it wasn't too pushy. I just I saw people. Some people like hustled, and I just didn't want to do that. And so I just make things and and wound up meeting. Uh, wound up just showing things every month, and also really uh, like building up confidence again, and really trying to be hard on stuff I was doing after this like terrible movie. Um, and so trying to just get a good at stuff and look at stuff objectively and be like, what could be better about this? And and then I wound up meeting, uh, I think Aziz, uh, I'd met him. Oh, I was I was helping program like a short film show, like a monthly show. And then I think I saw something Aziz did through that and I met him. And then he gave me a call to do this thing with Hubel. And then it was this thing about child talent agents. Uh, and we shot that. And it was really, it was for... Uh, there was like a New York offshoot of uh, Channel 101, uh, Dan Harmon, yeah. and Rob Schraub's thing. And and we did that, but it was really just an excuse to make something. And then I did another thing with Aziz and Sheer. And we just uh, did, I think, like two shorts. I did a couple other things with Aziz, uh, who had a manager. And then they got to the head of MTV. And he was like, we should do a pilot with you guys. Wait, well, the thing that's amazing about about watching them now is just you know how... You know, all those guys, you know, more than you know, a, a lot of sketch people like Sheer, Hubel, and Aziz just fucking full on went for shit. <laughs> you, you know what, what, do you, I mean? what do you mean? Like, they're always funny. Oh, that's good. And, yeah. And, and, like, you know, they're they're completely invested in characters and they, they had a tremendous range of intensity. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Aziz is like, uh, you know, I hadn't watched that stuff, you know, much. I don't know if I ever watched it until recently because I was, uh, you know, I missed it. I was kind of old uh, already. <laughs> yeah, it's on but, TV. But um, you know, the raw talent of that guy, you know, as he's gotten older and more confident and, and, and more of a, you know, sort of a celebrity, mm-hmm. you sort of forget what people were like when they were like 20 <laughs> something <laughs> and just hungry as fuck yeah. and just were capable of pushing the envelope to a point where they were challenging themselves mm-hmm. uh, comedically. And it's, it's pretty amazing to watch because because you, you get a deeper appreciation for all those guys. Because as people get older, you're sort of like everyone's just trying to find their thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and Paul's obviously they've all found their things. But to see them as younger uh, people, as performers, where it's all raw and fucking, you know, like everything's on the line. Man, I, I, guess I haven't watched that stuff in years, but I should. I, it holds up, dude. It's very that's funny. That's good. I, uh, I feel. I look, anytime I've seen that recently, it just feels like, it feels like home movies. It feels like I was still just kind of figuring out how to do. Yeah, but things still, on but but end. sometimes that's the best shit. I mean, you know, if you really look at like, you look at like British shows, you know, because I've been thinking about this a lot because we're doing the second season of my show, where for whatever reason, because of the way the industry is structured there, they maybe do three seasons, maybe. Right. And that's it. That's it. And at whatever point it happens in their career, who knows? But a lot of those things become celebrated as like sometimes the best work that those people have done. Yeah, look at The Office. Or, right. Yeah. And it's like, I know as a creator, you're going to obviously, like, well, I would have done that differently now. <laughs> right. But still, the, the talent that was harnessed there and the stuff that you were doing, because you weren't under a lot of pressure necessarily you know in the big picture and you had a little more freedom and you had guys that were like you know let's just fucking do it it's, yeah it's pretty great yeah and we and i mean 
And we were just doing it. We had knew nothing about making a TV show, and we were just doing. I was just doing basically an extension of these shorts that I was doing on my own. Of just like, well, I mean, I held the camera on most of that stuff. I really didn't know how a real TV show. How much worked. were you in the writing too, or no? Yeah, yeah. I wrote. I I think I wrote as many or more than than anybody. I mean, we all wrote together uh, with uh, Tom Giannis, and then we would have. Uh, a bunch of just comedy friends come in and out and pitch ideas and stuff like that. And that but was it, a good crew. I mean, that was like sort of the transition out of, you know, stand up into like the the beginning of the you know the UCB dominated UCB world. funnier die world. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and also I, I mean through the, I just got to like meet and work with a lot of my like heroes like uh, like Posehn wrote uh, on it a bunch and Benjamin would come in. I met Glazer through that and like. He's those, two, always... those two guys are like some of the funniest. Yeah, no, they... those guys are my complete heroes uh, when I was younger. What's and... interesting to them is that like no matter what they do, uh, it's it's so uniquely them that there's not you know they're, they're yeah they're the characters whatever character <laughs> Glazer comes up with is is so you know dug into Glazer like you know there's not yeah. a big not a lot of wigs and whistles no yeah you know, there's just a, a, fu- <laughs> a, a fundamental you know comedy sensibility that they both have that's pretty unique yeah seeing writing with Glazer he would just he would hone in on anything in the room and make anything funny he it's just, it's yeah. an amazing uh, a gift I don't I I don't really understand it because I I have to be you know I have to be reacting in to a person or in relation to a person mm-hmm. in order to sort of riff but guys who can just self-generate like that is pretty fascinating to me yeah yeah he's like the funny you, but you did you did you work you worked a little on delocated i shot the pilot of delocated yeah and you worked with benjamin too on uh i did uh i've worked on a few things with benjamin we did i did a few episodes of his uh comedy central show the John, man with yeah the band john and... benjamin has a van and yeah. then but we we'd done a few things in new york just uh videos here and there and you did you've shot specials too now I did a few, I did, uh, just for uh, Aziz and uh, two for Aziz and two for Patton, yeah. Which is not, uh, work I don't really do too much of. It's uh, there's not a lot I feel like you bring to that or yeah. It's just uh, sort of. But uh, there are guys that do this like live events and multicam stuff, and you can. Uh, yeah, I had Lance Bang shoot. Lance is great. Yeah. Yeah, I had a specific thing I wanted, but when you when you do a special, what what is the conversation? I'm just trying to stay out of the way and present uh, present them and what they're doing and just. Do think, you have a? Uh, do you help choose a venue or any of that kind of stuff? No, I haven't helped choose a venue. Anytime I've done that, I've just I don't know, helped like with curtain color and lighting and just it's just another it's just another set of eyes for them to be watching and be like, is this coming out okay and this is good and and just try not to make directing choices that are. Uh, you know, highlighting the directing as opposed to what's the performer and what's being said. So now, like outside of Eagle Heart, which we'll talk about in a second, the um, are you in development with Aziz and uh, to do movies? We've stuff? written a bunch of movies that, like like everything, are just you know hanging around and creeping forward. And uh-huh. We we had uh, we had that we sold uh, a few ideas to Judd a few years ago, and then. Um, we had one with uh, Scott Rudin that we've been working on, and then one with uh, Seth uh, Rogen, Evan Goldberg. That we were... So there's all these movies that are just, you know, ongoing. are there, and then you work on them, they pick up uh, momentum, and then they kind of dissipate. And, you it's know, a it's tough just, racket, like, movies. right? Yeah. Getting a movie made. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> it think. is. Yeah. Especially for me, because I've been I've been doing this show, Eagle Heart, the past few years, so in in between, I'll work on these scripts, and then... Once the show gets going, I just throw myself into it so much that I, I kind of stop doing most other things for a, few, for and, a while. And Eagle Heart, in terms of what you come from and what you've shot before, is it's it's definitely a bigger production. 
It's not bigger money-wise, but we want it to feel a lot bigger and look a lot bigger. So it just involves a lot more work. And uh, and what's it? What is the fundamental source of the of the satire? Would it be like a Chuck Norris thing? Or it's it, not really the the thing. They Adult Swim wanted kind of a uh, a spoof of a Chuck Norris thing. And by the time the two guys who wrote the show, uh, Michael Komen and Andrew Weinberg, were Conan writers who came up with this idea that was kind of around a uh, Chuck Norris kind of thing. And then a few years later sold it. And then I, uh, I came on and then we shot this pilot that we wound up throwing out and we're like, well, let's rewrite it from scratch. And by that point, all of this like uh, kind of hacky Chuck Norris comedy had been done. And so we're like, let's not make it about that at all. Uh-huh. And let's just throw it out. And then adult swim uh, was like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> and so that's why he had to like wear the hat and has like kind of a cowboy thing. And there are elements of that still, but since the beginning, we've tried to kind of, push away from that and, and instead of being like a spoofer or, or a satire or anything really just do kind of a weird action show with chris elliott at the center of it you've worked with these you know fairly kind of definitive uh comic personas or these comic performers like that being aziz paul rob you know you've done some stuff with Patton and john and, and john mm-hmm. and and now chris elliott who is like the the other generation of completely unique comedy sensibility. Yeah. It seems to me that that Chris's capacity for being darker is much deeper <laughs> than It's really dark, yeah. <laughs> and this season is um tremendously dark to the point that we're like is this uh, we don't know if it's a comedy show anymore. Oh really? Yeah, it's the darkest. That sounds great. It's, they let us do this thing where it's one it used to all be kind of the, just these 11 minute episodes which were almost like Looney Tunes cartoons and there's always like sadness and my favorite Would stuff you, was Were like, you using that as a point of reference kind in of, your mind? Yeah, yeah or in, just in that there was this cast and then each week or almost like the Three Stooges or whatever, where it would be the same people, but it would reset and they'd just be doing a different thing each week. So it was almost like uh, like it was just a way to get these performers in situations. Yeah, and it was really, in other years... You had the set. Yeah, we had the set. We had we had Chris Elliott, uh, Maria Thayer, and Brett Gelman, who are... I just saw Brett. I almost ran him over last night. <laughs> it was really funny. I didn't almost run him over, but like I'm, I pull up, it was like at sunset in Alvarado. I was driving mm. home. And it was like midnight, <laughs> and I just see Brett walking in the sidewalk, <laughs> laughing to himself. Oh God! And I and I opened the window. I said, "You can laugh, but no talking." <laughs> he's, he's such a sweet guy. Yeah, I he, love him. he knew he'd been caught. Him. You know, right? And he runs up. He's like, "We got to hang out." Oh, that's sometime. that's okay, yeah, classic, classic Gelman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, buddy. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And so it was just these. We had these three stars that were super Very funny, unique talent, and those guys. Yeah, and they were really great together. Too. Yeah, she's brilliant, and and so. But it was also really just like a venue for these conceptual comedy ideas of taking almost like sketch comedy ideas, but working a story in or trying to fit how many uh, fit as many ideas in like the eleven minutes that Adult Swim gives you. And then this year we, it's like one. They let us do one big story, which we just. It, it's kind of like this very. It's, there, it, there's still hopefully funny things in it, but it's like very heavy, and it's all about like this really tragic event at the beginning, and then Chris kind of uh, his life falling apart and all this stuff. <laughs> and so, well, he's like that, like that, you know, the kind of risks that he's willing to take and does sort of it's just his nature. Yeah, um, you, you don't see it much anymore. Yeah, and it's it's sort of a rare thing. I mean, it was sort of uh, you know Michael O'Donohue. Uh, from you know Lampoon and the original SNL, that there was a a school of comedy that you know, it kind of went beyond shock into something you know a little more disturbing because it was a little deeper. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there, like I don't know anybody that 
that there's no place for that in the mainstream anymore, really. Yeah, there's not a lot of uh, stuff that's really unsettling in comedy right now or, or disturbing or, or super challenging. Yeah. It seems like right now is a kind of the moment of like the good guy in comedy <laughs> oh the good guy but also you know you know snark is sort of like a yeah. like it's almost like a virus i think and, it is and it, it <laughs> you know it, it it kind of just by its nature implies a an emotional distance which means it's 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 risk adverse well that's i've ta- i've talked to tom about this a lot it's just, uh, snark is kind of like the end of the world because it's the easiest reaction to anything it's just like saying meh to everything yeah it's just like the tone of a lot of blogs and definitely you know how everyone you know like the the like the result of Twitter is saying, oh, everyone has the same, can make the same jokes, think the same reaction to everything. And anything that comes out, the easiest reaction is just be like, meh. And well, yeah, there's that, but there's also that the mild condescension of, you know, kind of inane cleverness. That's, yeah, it's and, like, oh, it's like, what's my take on this? It, it, right. It's the same joke, though. It's like right, every. Right. It's a disposition that, you know, it's, it's, it's entitled, it's insulated, uh, it, 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 uh, it completely avoids emotional interaction it's almost designed to sort of like assume uh, uh, a condescending wisdom of something well you don't have to know anything you don't have to know anything but you're instantly able to make yourself above something by just but i think yeah. that those you know those that's the type of, of personality that massive you know content driven pop culture creates because people just use point of references it's, it's like it's like whatever early dennis miller unleashed as 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 some sort of uh uh, you know, farce of intelligence mm-hmm. has now become the, the cultural norm. Right. Yeah. It's kind of no. It's like the end of comedy. You know, like because yeah, it's true. Like everyone. Okay, everyone is is funny now in that way. Everyone. Right. It's, it shows you that okay, everyone can do that. That's exactly. That's a good point, man. Because I was trying to think about it the other night when I was at the comedy store, and there's literally three rooms of comedy going. Uh, you know, at different levels. You know, some are bringer shows and amateurs. And I'm like, when did? How did? I you know, it's a, it's a weird thing where you know we all knew that we were culturally narcissistic. Mm. But then how did that translate to like no one's afraid to get on stage anymore? I mean, that was the, the <laughs> right. one obstacle to, to everyone not doing this. And now they feel like they're entitled to it because uh, because of content driven because the idea that hey anyone can do anything with their phone I mean I think creatively that's a good idea but it's just not true no and it's just yeah we have this setup now where it's like everyone is like I love my fans <laughs> it's yeah. like everyone's on Twitter <laughs> and everyone they got X amount of hundred or X amount of thousand people which are mostly I think robots but it's just like I'm putting out there and I'm getting a response from fans in the way that uh just didn't used to be available to everyone like that and now it now it is and also there's this uh, there's the reality of uh that social media unfortunately aside from the snark element there there's uh everyone's just waiting for the next feeding frenzy that that, like they're sort of like what where's where's the the, some bullshit controversy that we can all just you know cluster fuck into there yeah and celebrate in a negative way there was well even like uh, the boston bombings where they're hunting for that guy if you looked on twitter which i i don't i check that shit way too much but me too um but anytime anything would happen oh he's on a boat and then a thousand people make the same joke and it's like, okay, everything that happens, everyone's going to make the same snarky joke on it. It's like we're just like, everyone's standing with their guns drawn, like ready to snark on everything. Right, ready to snark on everything with, with like uh, like a very comfortable distance. Yes. That, that, the, the sad thing is, is that impactful events happen. And, and then you know, within hours, you know, people are just sitting there chomping at the bit. It's like, how long can... Uh, 
I just got such a good one, but it, it, seems, <laughs> right. it seems inappropriate. Like the, 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 the immediate feeling is not any sort of compassion or empathy or concern. It's like, oh, I got to get the, the <laughs> this, this joke. I mean, someone's going to do it if I don't do it. And then you like throw your hat in the ring and hope no one goes like, that's a little insensitive, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... No, I think it's changed everyone's brains for the yeah, worst. Yeah, yeah, like, really yeah. Like, compassion is out. Right. Just, you know, immediate condescension with cleverness is in. Well, it used to be just like a really specific kind of brain that would be like, okay, see anything that happens, be like, what's my take on this? Or what's my like witty take on this? Or what's my snarky take on this? And now it's like everyone. <laughs> well, the weird thing is, is that on my special, you know, which Sharpling was part of, um, you know, the day I taped my special was the day that happened. Right. And, you know, and I think at some other point in my life, I didn't even know what was happening. We were in the dressing room and I'm like, is there something happening? And that the, the bombing had happened and I got to go on stage in an hour. Wow. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't know if it was Tom or somebody else. They're like, are you going to address it? Like, how would you, the, the facts aren't even in. What is there to address? How, what's the funny take on someone just bombed the marathon and people are, are in right, chaos think, and dead? Let me call some writers. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, get, I think we can get an angle together. on it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, guys. And it's like, <laughs> this is what we're in it for. It's crunch time. Yeah, it's, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, these are weird lessons that you learn is that, they, that I had, there was no way to address it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I had said that you know when when Louis was doing his first Letterman, I think it was like his first Letterman. It was literally like a day or two after the Oklahoma bombing, and I remember talking to him, and and literally saying to Louis C.K. like you got to you got to talk about it. How are you not going to talk about it? And apparently he went to Bob Morton, who was producing the show at that time, and uh, and and Bob said, you know we you know we know this happened and everything is, and and he told Bob Morton, he said, yeah, Marin said I should address it. And Bob Morton said, yeah, that's why Marin's not doing the show. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a lesson that I couldn't learn. And it wasn't so much that I was snarky, but I think that there is another reason why people go there as quickly as possible is that there's built in juice yes. that you know, you're, you're, you know, no matter how mundane or inane, whatever you're going to comment is, you know, you're, you're latching on to something that is loaded. Yeah. And, uh, and you're going to ride that out for better or for worse. But I think that when you deal with somebody like, like, like Chris Elliott, who has a, a mine of, of, of sort of, you know, confusing, emotionally dark mm-hmm. comic sensibility that, you know, that juice is, you know, that's a responsible artist who's going to take risks in, in a way that's compelling. Yeah. And he's just so separated from everything else. And I, I just feel like if you look at stuff even from 20, 30 years ago, it still feels fresh. It still feels. He's just, yeah. He's his own time, time zone. Yeah. 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 That it's not hinging to anything other than his sensibility. Yeah. And it came out so formed, too. I mean, and he just, yeah, had this kind of blind confidence when he was like in his early 20s and yeah. doing bits on Letterman. He's just like the funniest yeah. thing because his attitude then and now was just kind of like. Fuck, fuck you to everything and who gives a shit. And he's a very and, nice like, guy. Sweetest, sweetest man. Yeah, no, he he's the best. But but uh, can definitely he definitely has like a well uh, of dark stuff that we definitely take advantage of in in Eagle Heart. Now you worked with Smigel as well. I did. Um, he there was a live action uh, Ace and Gary uh, ambiguously gay right. duo that. Uh, for SNL a couple of years ago we did. Too. He's he another guy that's just sort of like, you know, where's that genius come from? Yeah. yeah I mean, like, he's just so funny. I was watching, I was watching clips that Conan was running clips. You know, the, the insult dog. Oh, that, yeah, Triumph, yeah. yeah he's I mean, really he's so funny. quick. It's so <laughs> funny. Like, it's like, where does that come from? Yeah, no, and he's another one who has this kind of work ethic that's been handed down. Of it. He just, when we worked on that thing at SNL, we really just like, 
like lived there um for days on end and just worked you know slept on the couch and shifts and like huh. just kept working on I it. I gotta talk to him. We shot it. I think that was the, it was two day shoots and the last one was like twenty five hours straight or something like that. <laughs> and but uh so and he, yeah he's another one that I just really uh, admired everything he did growing up and, and was lucky enough to have been able to work with. All right, so I think we're good. Are you good? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, thanks for thank, hanging thanks out. Thanks so much for doing this. So, yeah, absolutely. So fun. It's good. It was fun. <laughs> That's it. That's the show. He's a smart guy, fun guy, good story. Enjoyed that. On Thursday, we have a very interesting episode. A comic from the 70s named Billy Braver who had quit comedy. And I thought it would be interesting to talk to somebody who actually quit comedy. And I saw this weird uh, little doc on him called Sob Story. And then I was like, well, let's talk to that guy. Turns out that he kind of wants to get back into it again, though. God just never gets out of you. Never gets out of you. It's an interesting episode. It's not the uh, the, the standard fare. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Nebraska. That was a lovely movie. Spectacular. And somebody, you know, finally, man. Alexander Payne. Kind of really did something with that uh, digital black and white, man. It looks like a fucking Dorothea Lange photograph, everything. Just a uh, beautiful composition. The story was awesome. Will Forte was great. Bruce Stern was great. The woman that, that played the mom, holy shit. She was a powerhouse. Great movie. Go to WTFPod.com. Pick up some stuff if you want some stuff. Kick in a few shekels. Leave a comment. Uh, we got new stuff coming in the new year. Things are changing. Going to try to make new things happen. For WTF listeners, probably, probably pick up more speed in March after I get done, or February after I get done shooting the show. Oh, but seriously, have have a good holiday. Try to take it easy. All right. I hope you got the right thing for everybody. Hope you get the thing you want. It sucks when you get a present you don't want. And you guys sit there and act like you wanted it. Try not to resent the person for not understanding you at all. Thank you. Here's your thing that was much more thoughtful. Enjoy that. Wish I could hit you with it. Merry Christmas.